Hey, everybody. <laughs> What's happening? Wow. So um, this, is our, this is it right here, last installment of the Fruits of the Spirit series. Um, if Dave was still at the drums, I'd say drum roll, you know, or we could go dun, 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 self-control. You know, self-control, the last one. I, Harry, you and I were talking after last, last week's sermon, and you were saying, uh, why is the difficult one all the way at the end? Why is the brutal one all the way at the end here, self-control? It's funny, um, when you hear uh, the word self-control, you might have different reactions to that. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever tried to talk to someone about something, but they just can't really hear what it is you're trying to say because they, they already assume they know what you're going to say, but it's not actually what you're trying to say? You know, maybe that's been like with your kids or maybe that's been with your parents or maybe that's been with a spouse where it's like we know them well enough that we actually think we know what it is they're about to say. And so we already make assumptions about that. Um, And sometimes we can even hear each other's words, but we don't necessarily hear what they're trying to say, even though we hear the words, because we don't hear the right heart behind it and the right motivation behind it. You know what I mean? And we make assumptions. We project ourselves onto that. And uh, it's like, you know, emails are so dangerous when you read an email and you you, ne- you never know what's actually being said in there. You know, there's no tone of voice. And I honestly think that that happens to no one more than it happens to God. That, you know, it's so hard for us to hear God the way he's actually talking to us because we have no frame of reference. We're not like God. You know, he's so different than us. He's pure, perfect love. No insecurity at all. A wellspring of love. And so when he says things, it's really hard for us to know how he's saying it. You know, and so it's easy for us to misinterpret his words because we don't always get his heart and his perspective in that thing, which is part of the reason why the words become flesh and dwell among us in the person of Jesus. Because he's trying to give us a living example of what it is that he's actually trying to say. But the problem there is, is even when Jesus comes unto his own, his own receive him not, because they still can't even handle, even when he's there in the flesh, still have a hard time believing what it is that he's putting out because it's hard for us to receive. And when it comes to this fruit of the Spirit right here, self-control, this word, it's really important before we dig into it that we hear God's heart, that we know his perspective. Because this word self-control, if we hear it the wrong way, we're going to think the wrong thoughts, we're going to feel the wrong things, and we're going to end up doing the wrong things, all because we heard God wrong even though we might have heard the right words, but we heard it in the wrong tone. And if we didn't hear it in the right tone, then our reactions are going to be very different. Isn't that the case? Then when you hear someone wrong, what changes when we hear their heart wrong? Our reaction, right? And so our reaction to the Word of God is only appropriate when we hear it the right way. And, and so what that means is, how do we hear someone the right way? We hear someone the right way, A, by listening, of course, but B, we actually have to know what's going on inside of them. The more we know a person, the more we can start to know what it is that they're actually trying to say to us. So we actually need to know God and experience God in order to hear him appropriately. And so this word here, self-control, that we're dealing with today, if you haven't stepped into a, a living relationship with God, And if you haven't felt the goodness of God, and if you haven't known his love toward you, I would just ask that you be careful in listening to this message, you know, because God 
wants desperately for you to be everything that he's designed you to be, and he has every good will and intention for your life. And the scriptures make that very, very clear, that he has good intentions for us, that he loves us with an intensity of love that we can't fathom. And according to 1 John 4, 8, we are told that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, but we've already been washed and set free. So if the word self-control solicits fear in me, I'm not hearing God's tone right. I'm not hearing his tone right. In, uh, in Acts 24, there's this amazing moment where Paul, you know, Paul, he has this great thing going on where every time that uh, the enemy does something to beat up on Paul, the Holy Spirit turns it around and does these great things. And so one of the moments is when Paul's in- imprisoned inappropriately, but according to the will of God, however that works out. You know, uh, he's, he, here he is imprisoned inappropriately according to the will of God. And he's in this prison and God decides that he's going to do something awesome. So he takes Festus, who's the governor at the time. And uh, Festus knows that Paul's in there unjustly. You know, he knows the other guys who put him in there and all, all that stuff. But he decides to hear what it is that Paul has to say about the gospel. And so day after day, Paul comes in and he's sharing the gospel with him, telling him all about the scriptures. And then there's this moment where he's sitting in there and all of a sudden, the whole scene changes. Festus, this governor, has been really listening to this prisoner, hearing everything, but then the whole conversation changes, and it's over one topic, all right? Here it is. Watch this. Acts 24, 25. As Paul discoursed on righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. This is what happens when we get afraid. We want to distance ourselves and say, hey, that's enough for now. When I'm ready, I'll hear more. Okay? That's what we tend to do with fear. We step away. Perfect love drives out fear. If I'm hearing God right, I don't need to be afraid about talks about righteousness, about talks about self-control, or talks about judgment. I don't need to be afraid. David yearns for God's righteous judgments. Yearns for them. Longs for them. Because he knows the heart of God. He's a man after God's own heart. He yearns for God's judgment. We hear the word judgment and we're like, what? (laughs) It's really easy to get afraid. hear the word self-control and it can feel inhibiting. What? What does that mean? My freedom's taken away from me. What do I have to control? What do I hold back? I can't just be free. Of course, in God's perspective, self-control sets us free. It's what sets us free from the things that have held us captive. Righteousness? Oh, that just sounds boring, you know? But righteousness is the joy of our lives, you know? And so uh, we have to hear God in the appropriate tone as we go into the rest of this message talking about what self-control actually really is. What is self-control? As we dig into this word and figure it out, we need God's perspective. Now, we've been trying to memorize this text, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, two, two scriptures, two verses. It's not on the screen, Garrett, right? Not on the screen. All right, we've gone through the whole series. It's been 10 weeks, all right? I've given you 10 weeks on this one. I'm not gonna stare at you while we do it. So that there isn't like, like uncomfortable accountability. 
but I am going to ask us to say it out loud together. There's a group effort here. We're in it to win it together, all right? And so let's try to say it, starting with the reference, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit Praise God. Well done. Bravo to you. Good job. Really good. Okay, so self-control. Last one. We're going to pray right now and ask God to give us the right perspective for the remainder of this message on this word self-control. Okay, that's what we're going to ask. We're going to ask God to give us perspective. If we haven't experienced the goodness of God and you want to ask Jesus to, to allow his blood to wash over you and to enter you into that relationship with him, feel free to do that as we pray. If you've already experienced and tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we're going to ask him to remind us of his goodness right now so that we can have his heart as well as his words. Let's pray. God, we just ask right now that this word self-control, which is a wonderful, wonderful gift, would be given to us in knowledge and in heart and in truth. In heart, mind, and strength. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what is self-control then? You know, it's really weird, this word self-control, because When you hear the word self-control, to me, that sounds like it's about me and it's about control. (laughs) Which, you know, in general, when you look at the gospel, it's not about me. Our opening song was, we are here for you, not me. Why why this word self-control? Isn't that me-focused, you know? And control, anything but control, right? Control's the opposite of faith. I don't want control. I want faith. Why self-control? It's a really interesting word when you, when you dig in and you realize that's an English word, self-control. That's not a Greek word, you know. And as with all sorts of things in translation, it's easy to, to lose some stuff in translation. You could also interpret this word as temperance, abstinence, chastity, any of those words. There's some other words you could interpret it as as well. It gets interpreted in the scriptures as discipline, as discipline. You know, there's a number of different words that this could be, okay? And what I want us to see primarily is that it is not about us, and it is not about my ability to, by my own efforts, get my sever. That's not what self-control is. This is how we know. Because we are to build self-control on top of faith is what the text tells us. We're about to look at a, at a, at a scripture that tells us that, okay, in Second Peter. That we build self-control on top of faith. Now, let me ask you something. If you, are, if you build an addition on your house, say uh, you need a bathroom on your house, and you don't have a bathroom, so you build a bathroom on the side of your house. You're going to build bathroom onto your house. What does that bathroom become? Part of your house, doesn't it? So when you build something onto your faith, what does it become? Part of your faith. This is the way it works. Now watch how this happens. We're tempted to think oftentimes that if we hear faith plus something else, that that means, okay, here's faith, and then there's this other thing that doesn't have to do with faith. Okay, so that's why in in James, when it says uh, faith without works is dead, you can show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. Okay, so that work is a part of the faith. It's a manifestation of the faith. 
is I'm showing you my trust in God by what I'm doing with my life. My actions are revealing who I'm trusting. Okay, so my faith is being revealed by my works. Watch this in Second Peter. I want you to turn with me. If you uh, have your Bible, open it up to Second Peter. It will be on the screen. I, I would love it if you'd also look in your text. And there are Bibles in the back. You can keep one if you don't have one. Um, they're the books in red. All right, Second Peter, chapter one, starting in verse three. All right, we're going to break this one down. His divine power, who's his? God's. God's divine power has given us everything we need. Say that with me, those three words. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Okay, so his power gives us absolutely everything we need for living our lives and for godliness. How do we access that? Through our knowledge of him. As we know God, his power gives us everything we need for life and godliness, who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, his own glory, not by our glory, not by our goodness. He has called us by his glory, by his goodness, and it's his power that's working out in us. What, what is ours? Our knowledge of him, our knowing him. We know him. Everything else is coming from him. Verse 4. Through these, through his power, his glory, his goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. He's promised all sorts of things in the scripture to us so that through them, through these promises, we may participate in the divine nature. Isn't that awesome? And escape the corruption in, this, in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, so this is what the this is what it's saying so far. It's saying that our world it, it's really easy to get messed up in our world because of our desires, our selfish desires, our sinful desires, our sinful nature. Once we start appeasing that, our minds get all messed up. Romans tells us about what happens to our brains once we start engaging in sin, our brains get all messed up and we don't even think clearly anymore because our actions start changing the way we think and what we think is reasonable and what's right and wrong and all that stuff it gets messed up. And it, because there's a disintegration of our mind, as we give ourselves over, we become chains to the addiction of sin, and it messes with the way we see the world. Okay? We can be kept free from that. And we can have everything for life and godliness. And even more, we can participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? That means that I can begin to look like the character of God. That's what it looks like. You know, of course, Satan's temptation in the garden was, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. You can know all the stuff that God knows. Well, God gives us something much better than knowing what he knows. God gives us the ability to be like him, to act like him, to live like him, which is far more important than just knowing stuff that God knows. It goes all the way to the grassroots, all the way down to the ground, all the way to my hands. It's not stuck just in my heart or just in my head. It gets all the way to my hands where I can participate in the divine nature and I can begin to live like God. That's awesome. How do I do that? Because his power, his glory, his goodness is working itself out inside of me by my knowledge of him. That's what it says so far, okay? Now, keep going. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every, what? Effort. So this is effort. This is, this is 
me doing something, right? Make every effort to add to your faith. Okay, add to your faith. Add on to it. This is an addition onto your faith. This isn't, all right, there's your faith. Now we're doing something else. We did the faith thing. Now we're going to go do it. No, add to your faith. Build into your faith. Add to your faith goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, of course, love. Okay. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My knowledge of Christ is supposed to make me effective and productive, but there's a chance that I won't be effective and productive with that knowledge of Christ. But these things, self-control among them, in increasing measure, keep me from that. Okay, he, but if anyone does not have them, okay, if anyone does not have these things, these parts of our faith, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. You will never fall. Okay. If I am nearsighted and blind and forget that I have been forgiven of my sins, how will I feel? If I forget that I've been forgiven of my sins, what will my response to that be? What do I feel if I, if I haven't been forgiven of my sins? Guilt. Okay, guilt or shame. Shame. Guilt is like, all right, I did this wrong. I, des- I deserve to be punished. Shame is when I'm embarrassed about the things I've done. Shame is about how I look, you know. Guilt is about where I'm legally wrong, okay. And so I will feel guilty because I forgot that I've already been forgiven. And I will feel embarrassment and shame and feel bad about myself if I forget that I've been forgiven. And what the scriptures tell us is that if we are not self-controlled in increasing measure, that we will forget that we have been forgiven. In other words, if there is not self-control working itself out in my life in increasing measure, then I will feel shame and I will feel guilt. The funny thing is, I won't feel that shame and guilt because I deserve to feel it any more than I did before I stopped with the self-control. It's just that I will forget that I'm forgiven. It's not that I'm any less forgiven. It's that I fail to realize that I'm forgiven. See, the sin, if I lack self-control and I start to do things wrong, it's not like God locks and loads on me and says, you're guilty now and I'm in trouble again. He already paid for it on the cross. It's all taken care of. The problem is, is when I continue to participate in sin and inappropriate behavior after I've been forgiven, my heart and my mind no longer live in the reality of the forgiveness and I begin to think and feel things that I shouldn't think and feel, and I live in a false reality, and it messes with my head, and instead of hearing the love of God, I start hearing him wrong again, and then my reaction is wrong, and I have this cycle where I start doing the things that I shouldn't do, reacting to shame and guilt instead of reacting to grace and love, right? 
That's how that works. And that's why it's saying you need to participate in these things. You need to make every effort to add on to your faith these things. So is that like, okay, God is, he's the one who forgives me of my sins. Now I got to go over here and I'm the one who does all the good stuff and doesn't do all the bad stuff. That's on me. Over there, God forgave me and gave me a free pass out of hell and into heaven. And then over here, my life of living in a way that God approves of and keeps me clean, that's all on me. You know, that, because it said make every effort to add that on. Is that what that means? No, what it means is grow your faith. Learn to depend on God for things other than just your eternal destination. Learn to depend on God in momentary decisions. You trusted him for your eternal destination. Trust him also this morning when it comes to how to spend your money, how to use your mouth, and how to think those thoughts, and what it is that I'm supposed to do when someone hurts me, and all of those different things. In all these other areas, I learn to trust God. Add on to my faith the general faith that he's forgiven me, and get more and more specific with my faith even to the point of self-control. Okay? That's what it's saying. Add into your faith. Build upon your faith. Let your faith grow in such a way that it's getting all the way down to this place of self-control. And if, in fact, that happens, then there's a few things that we are saved from. Okay? If a general salvation, that, that, that when we talk in terms of eternal eternity, if, if um, the scriptures talk about eternity as far as salvation sometimes, and so salvation seen in terms of saved from eternal separation from God, saved into eternal communion with God, that's one thing that we're saved from. But every time that we have faith in God, we are saved from something. We are saved every time we trust him. We are saved from the results of sin and saved into the blessing of God every time we trust him for something. Okay, and what it says here is that I'm in danger of falling, of being unfruitful. The two big things, that there are those worldly desires that can mess me up, that, can, that can, I can fall away, and I can become unproductive and unfruitful. If I want my life to be fruitful, and if I want my life to be safe, in the best sense of the word, then I need God to continue to help me have this level of self-control added into my faith and I need to trust God or else I'm susceptible on two levels, those two levels being I'm open to enemy attack and I become unfruitful. Listen to what Proverbs says. That is a great way of saying it. Proverbs, I believe it's uh, 20, uh, what do we got here? Proverbs 25, 28. Yeah, like uh, a city... Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You know, it doesn't really matter if there's a big wall around New York right now. That's not going to save it. You know, we don't do things that way anymore. Now we um, have NSA <laughs> that spies on our emails. You know, no, I, I, without, what we have is we have a defense system that's, that's all over the place, Right? That we try, we got, there's, who knows what's going on in space to try to protect us from nuclear warfare. Who knows what's going on with, with aircraft and with technology and all those things. They're the walls around America that are trying to protect us, right? And what this is saying is if you took all the protection of America away, that's what it would be like for a man to not have self-control. What happens to America if there's zero defense? We're done. They run in. Take it over. There's plenty of people who have ill will toward America. What happens in an ancient city if there's no walls? 
the city gets ransacked, right? That's what happens. It gets ransacked. And so, and, and everything that's built there is destroyed. And no matter what the culture is, and no matter how good the buildings are and all that stuff, they're going to get destroyed because there's nothing protecting them. Add to your faith self-control or else the city will fall. The faith will fall. The knowledge of God will fall. All the things that have been built in my life will go to crumble unless there's self-control. As a man of faith, as a person of faith, what it's telling me here is that I have to stay continually trusting God all the way to the point of self-control in my lifestyle if I want to not be susceptible to, to watching my faith instead of inclining and increasing getting hurt and wounded and taking shots. And then I stop remembering that I've been forgiven and stuff starts getting messed up, right? So that's the one thing there. And Paul talks about self-control on this level. He tries to help us with that when he talks about marriage, you know, a marriage in 1 Corinthians 7, when he's talking about marriage. And he says, it's better to marry than to burn with passion, Right? He's like, say, we, we had that whole series in 1 Corinthians. If you want to understand that passage better, you can go back and, and listen to that. But, but the whole point is, he's, and this is what he says, it's better, better to marry than to burn with passion because of your lack of self-control. So now, Paul obviously believes a whole lot more about marriage than just it being kingdom pragmatist to deal with our own uh, ability to control ourselves. You know, he talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, it's the very picture of the relationship between God and the church. There's immensely beautiful things about marriage well beyond this, but he's also a kingdom pragmatist. And what he knows is, is he's saying, hey, we all struggle with self-control. And God has designed things in the relationship with our spouse that help us in that self-control. So if you need to, if, if, you, if you can not have a spouse and live in a pure life, great. But if, if you need to, get together and get married. And then he says specifically to those who are married, don't withhold intimacy from one another. Why? He says, if you want to for a little while, that's fine for the sake of prayer, growing intimacy with God. But then as soon as that season is done, then come back together, lest ye be tempted because of your lack of self-control. This is what he's saying. Now, the reason he says all of that is because he recognizes that it's not just about physical intimacy and sexuality. It's not just about our lustful minds or something like that. What he understands is, is in a marriage, it's the closest relationship on earth, right? And we are, there's always a temptation to divide us. The enemy is always trying to divide us. And if we are not on the same page with each other, then our minds toward the other person, it's not going to go right. Our emotions toward the other person, it's not going to go right. And he's saying, there's a regular way that God has put in your relationship to bind you together and to keep you guys connected. Keep that going, you know, because of your lack of self-control, because you can't control your minds. You can't control your hearts. We can't control all that stuff. This is why we are susceptible because of our lack of control of our lives. We're susceptible if we are not constantly trusting God with stuff, then the enemy can attack us. Okay, so the first thing that can happen to us if we don't have self-control in our lives is that we can be attacked by the enemy and led astray and our minds get messed up. The second thing is that we become unfruitful. Now, how does this work? What's the primary fruit of the Spirit? Love. Okay, so we'll take the first one. If the fruit of our participation in the divine nature is love, What is love in its essence? It's about us looking to someone else's interests above our own, right? Putting someone else first. Look look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Get beyond ourselves and care about someone else. That's love. 
Self-control is absolutely necessary in order for me to be able to love someone because I can't actually think about you until I can say no to me, right? I have to be able to to self-denial. I have to be able to deny myself in order to benefit you. So a gateway, a door that I have to open in order to be able to love is the door of self-control. If I can't control myself, then I can't actually love you. Last week we talked about gentleness. Gentleness is that meekness that we have all this strength, but we're choosing not to pound someone with the strength because we are choosing to be patient and kind and all of those things. And it manifests in holding back the strength, which is gentleness, which necessitates self-control, not just exercising my power anytime I want, but having self-control. Self-control, while it's the last of the fruit of the Spirit, is a gateway that leads back into all the other fruits of the Spirit. You can't do any of the other fruits of the Spirit without self-control. It, in and of itself, is not an objective. The objective is not to be one who can control my life. No, it's faith. Faith is God-dependent, not me-dependent. So the intention is not so that I can have control of my life. The intention is that I can trust God in all these other ways. In essence, what what, what it is, is it's my ability to say no, and my ability to say yes to the right things at the right time. That's what self-control is. And the reason that I need it in order to be fruitful is I need to be able to say no to me, and I need to be able to say yes to God. And God asks me to do things I don't want to do, and I have to be able to say yes. And God asks me not to do things that I really want to do, and i got to be able to say no. And that's self-control. So if I want to be fruitful in life, I need self-control. That's all there is to it. All right, now let me explain to you just real quick. I got to do um, a thing here that explains the different words. There's a couple different English concepts and a couple different Greek concepts. As soon as you get this, you'll get the essence of it, and then we can bring it home. All right, so this is how this works. There's two words. I won't get into the names of the Greek words, but there's actually three words, but really two words that get interpreted as self-control in the Greek. But there's a bunch of concepts in the English language that we all conflate into these two topics. Let me explain how this is. Discipline, training, control, abstinence, temperance, all part of the same thing, but have different stuff about them, right? Look at this. uh, Let's put up that slide about, um, yeah, here we go. This is uh, in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is talking about, He's using this word. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That's in the English Standard Version. Notice in the NIV, it says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Don't those two things carry a different, a little bit of a a nuance? So if you hear self-control, don't you think more about saying no? And when you think strict training, doesn't that feel like about saying yes? Like, I will exercise. You know, that's strict training. Self-control is, I won't eat that, you know? And so, but this word carries both of those concepts in it because it carries the ability to say no and the ability to say yes, okay? Now, that's all English words. There's actually two Greek words that both get translated as self-control. What's the difference between these two Greek words? Well, one has to do with being able to say no or yes in a moment having power when the bag of chips is sitting there and I'm looking at it and I've already had enough to eat and I'm like, should I eat that or not? The ability in that moment to say no. That's one Greek word of self-control. Here's the other one. 
The other one has to do with, you can see it in, uh, let's look at it. This is in, uh, in Titus, and it's in, um, two, it's in chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Actually, if you have your text, just turn to Titus with me. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. See those different concepts? You say no to worldly passions and then to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, now here's, here's the deal is that these two different concepts, there's another, there's another passage in Titus that also makes it really clear to us when we're looking for leadership in a church. Uh, do you have Titus 1.8 on there too? I'm uh, giving Garrett a workout back there. I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, this is when it's talking about the overseers in a church. When you're looking for, for character, it says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. See that word disciplined at the bottom? That Greek word is the word that's found in Ephesians 5, or in Galatians 5. That's the fruit of the Spirit, the one that says disciplined. The one that's right above it there that says self-controlled, that's a different Greek word, okay? So this is the way it works. The only reason this matters is because there's two things. There's one, when you look at a person and you say, man, that person really seems to have it together. You know, what it, you know what I mean? Not like their life is perfect, but it seems like they have a handle on life a little bit. That's one Greek word. A person lives a life that seems like they have control over their life in general. But then there's also the person, there's the moment where a person can say no. And there's a difference between that. If, if, uh, if I can say no to one thing once, that's an act of self-control. If my life is self-controlled, it looks very different. Okay, those are the two Greek words, but the concepts are the ability to say yes and the ability to say no. There's a reason why I said all of that. This is why. Because um, think about it. If someone doesn't have self-control, self-discipline, if they're not training themselves, they don't make the effort, what do we call it if the person never makes the effort? Lazy. That's laziness, okay? That's why the scriptures say faith without works is dead. You're saying you're trusting me, but you're never actually stepping out with it. There's nothing there. There, You know, like I I called you to do all this stuff. I'm the trainer. God's the trainer. And he's saying, all right, you trust me. Lift this weight. And we're like, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And we never lift the weight. He's like, you don't trust me. You know, like you're saying you trust me, but you don't trust me. It's not happening. You know, you're not trusting me. And and that's where there's a lack of self-discipline. And that's laziness. But there's a whole other thing where there's a lack of self-control, which means that I never say no. And we would call that self-indulgent. Okay? So I can be lazy or I can be self-indulgent. Now, we're all lazy and we're all self-indulgent. So don't freak out and get afraid because if we do, then we're not hearing the heart of God in this message. What we understand is that's what he forgives us for, is for our self-indulgence and our lack of discipline. We can't be righteous on our own. Now, here's what happens. If we have fear when we hear that, and we have fear has to do with punishment. Oh, no. God's not going to like me. He's not going to enjoy. So I got to I gotta react and I got to do, do something better. I got to start to get more disciplined with 
with my life. I've got to start to do good stuff. Well, then I'm going to work really hard at doing good things, at being righteous. But whose righteousness is that? That's mine, which we call what? Self-righteousness, right? And then there's this other thing where I really don't want to mess up. So I try to hold everything at bay, and I'm afraid to jump into a relationship with, pe- with people. I'm afraid to do anything because I'm afraid that I might do something wrong. So we build boundaries that keeps everything way out. And we call that legalism. Okay? So there's legalism and there's self-righteousness that are reactions. They're fear-based reactions to our lack of self-discipline and our lack of self-control, to our laziness and our self-indulgence. And we tend to react in our own strength with either legalism or with self-righteousness. But there's another option, and it's called faith. And this is where true self-control comes in faith, where I say, I don't have the ability to control myself. I'm a mess. I don't have the ability to do all the things that I should do. I need your help. See, this is how it works. We spend so much of our lives compensating for decisions we already made that were inappropriate, don't we? I mean, think about this. Have you ever been in a place where you spent more than you should have, and then you had to work more than you should have in order to make up for the spending? Have you ever been at a place where you ate too many calories so you had to exercise enough to make up for all the calories you ate? Or have you ever been in a place where you should have just never opened your mouth and said that, but now you have to run around and make all the relationships right and it's taken all this time when I should have just kept my mouth shut in the first place? You know, all of those things. There's a sowing and reaping and oftentimes our lives have to do with reacting to the things that we already did wrong. If there was a measure of self-control all across our lives, we'd be in much better shape, wouldn't we? But instead, there's that constant reaction. Well, here's the thing. If you have to guess, remember I said that there's those two Greek words about self-control? One has to do with, in a a moment, being able to say no. And then there's the other thing that has to do with living a life that, in general, it seems like you're able to keep it in check. If you had to guess which one of those was the fruit of the Spirit, which one do you think it would be? The momentary one? Or the, like, across my life one. Of course, everyone seems to think it's across my life, but guess what? It's not. You know why? Because when I'm addicted to something, I don't need my whole life to change. What I need is to be able to say no right now, and that's all that matters. And God doesn't want to just give us the ability to have control of our lives and then send us off sailing. What God wants is for us to be dependent on him because that's how we were wired. And every moment I need to depend on the Holy Spirit to manifest his fruit in me so I can say no again. And that other Greek word about a person who has self-control across their life that talks about an overseer of a church or talks about a woman who has learned to focus on her inward beauty instead of her outward beauty or an elder in the church who has learned what true respect is about and it says they have self-control. You know what that is? That has nothing to do with the special power that they have. It has to do with one thing that they have learned day in and day out, moment in and moment out to trust God. Because self-control is not about willpower. Self-control is about one thing. It's about faith. 
It's about believing that God is right and I'm wrong and I'm going to trust God. And I'm not just going to trust him for eternal salvation. I'm going to trust him for the decision that I have to make with my pocketbook and with my mouth and with my mind and with my heart and all of those things. I'm going to trust him because he's the only one who can break the addictions that I have. And I don't have the strength. And anytime we're addicted to something, what do we need? We need one no. That's what we need. We need the next no. And God gives us the ability to have the next no. And when we need to build something into our lives and we don't have the ability and we can't train ourselves because we're not that disciplined, we need God to give us the next yes so that I can just say yes to the next thing. I don't need the ability to do it all right. I just need the ability to do the next thing right. And that's what the last fruit of the Spirit is. Why? Because it's the cap on our faith. It keeps us from falling. And it keeps us fruitful because it helps us to trust Him with the next thing that's right in front of us. I need that to you. Yeah. So here's the faith. All the great blessings of the Scriptures. All the great blessings of the Scriptures. All the big benedictions of the Scriptures. They have this one concept. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make you fruitful and the Lord protect you. The one who is able to present you faultless before his throne with great joy. Jude. Ephesians. The one who has the power to do immeasurably more than all we could imagine or even think. Ephesians. The one who can make us fruitful beyond measure. And the one who can protect us from falling and give us great joy. He's the one we need. I don't need self-control. I need to keep in step with the Spirit. I need Jesus. For He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Amen? Peter tells us this. The end is drawing near. So be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. I want to stay close to God. I want to develop that spiritual discipline. I need my mind to be clear. And I need my life to be under control, not under my control and not under the control of sin, under the control of God. By his grace, may he give us faith that we can trust him again one more time. Let's pray.